Welcome to In Process, the NC Dance Festival podcast. I'm Ann Morris, Festival Director. Each week on this podcast, we dive deep into the risk-taking and dance-making that characterized the modern and contemporary dance community in North Carolina. We have artist interviews, behind-the-scenes insights into the 2020 NC Dance Festival season, and fun and important conversations about dance and the creative life. Whether you're a dancer yourself or just curious about the who, how, and especially the why of dance, we're glad to have you along for this journey. This week, we're returning to a conversation we hosted on Facebook Live back in January. With the current limitations on presenting performances in traditional studio and theater spaces, artists are increasingly turning to alternative, often outdoor performance sites, but this way of working is not new. Durham-based sites has long been a platform for dance artists to shed light on necessary issues and create accessible, shared experiences with art. This roundtable discussion in January was moderated by Sites founder and curator Stephanie Leathers and a number of artists in multiple disciplines who shared their work as part of the Sites Reset performance installation in Durham on February 27th. In the podcast version of this conversation, these artists discuss what equitable art can be, what their creative process looks like, and how their art is responsive to the here and now. All right. Welcome, everyone. On behalf of Dance Project and Sites, I'd like to welcome you to this North Carolina Dance Festival Community Conversation, which is held during our year-long 30th anniversary season. This is one in a series of community conversations and workshops coming up. Please check out our website for upcoming events at danceproject.org ncdf2020. With current limitations on presenting performances in traditional studio and theater spaces, artists are increasingly turning to alternative, often outdoor performance sites. But of course, this way of working is not new. There's a long history within the modern and contemporary dance world of artists performing in non-traditional spaces for many reasons, but often to highlight the shape, symbol, or meaning of a particular space or to position their art in a specific context to make a statement that's, that's underlined by the space they're performing in. The Durham-based organization Sites has long been a platform for dance artists to shed light on necessary issues and create accessible, shared experiences with art. And today we're pleased to have Stephanie Leathers, founder and curator of Sites, here to moderate a roundtable discussion with a number of artists selected for an upcoming Sites performance in Durham on February 27th. So welcome, Stephanie. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about this upcoming performance installation. And then you'll be prompting discussion among the artists we have gathered here today. And with that, Stephanie, I will turn it over to you. Thanks, Anne. I'm happy to be here today. Just to give everyone a background of sites, essentially it's centered around experimental art and performance in alternative spaces. And oftentimes public spaces, um, it's accessible because of how it's presented and the reach it has. So it's not something that's happening in a closed off space for a small group of regular art goers. It's not exclusive to the same loop of artists that we, we're used to seeing in our community. It's something that's accessible because of its theme, dealing with relevant issues, to dismember them, to put them on display, to have an open dialogue around them, like we're doing today. So it's very transparent. There have been a lot of iterations of sites over the years, about 10 years now. And the current focus is on reset, this idea of reset in response to the pandemic, social justice, equality, change, 
growth and our current political climate. So this group of artists and many who could not be with us today will be sharing their response to this reset theme. With that said, I want to shift the focus onto these artists that are here with us today. Hi, I'm Jude Cassidy, also known as Deja Cues. I'm a member of uh, Elder Performance Collective. We do sound and movement, and we're going to be doing an installation for this upcoming sites and are very excited about it. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Casey Avant and my medium is contemporary dance and I'm really looking forward to participating in this project. I originally am from Maine. I moved to this area just a couple of years ago um, and I'm working as an assistant professor at Elon University. I'm Nicole, I'm based out of Kernersville, North Carolina. My medium is contemporary dance and I'm super excited to be involved in Sites Reset. Hi everyone, my name is Lauren Gronendahl. I'm currently based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which is historically Lenape land. I am aware of sites because I lived in North Carolina for three years to do my MFA at UNCG. And two years ago, one year ago, I got to participate in sites on site. Um, for Reset, I will be participating remotely making a dance for camera piece. Hi, I'm Audrey Barron. Um, I'm a dance artist based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, I've been here in Charlotte for about 20 years, but North Carolina for much longer than that. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be part of Sites for the first time and get to connect with some new and older artists, old to new artists. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be presenting a new work uh, with my company, Barron Dance. My name's Mara. I'm from uh, Winston-Salem. Um, I went to UNCG and graduated um, four, four and a half years ago. Uh, my medium is dance. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Johnny Lee Chapman III, but uh, I'll go by Lee. Um, I'm a spoken word artist and writer. I'm from the Triangle area, Fuquay Verena, but I'm based out in Winston-Salem now. And uh, this is my first experience with sites, so I'm excited to bring some new work to the stage and you know share it with some other talented artists. So thank you all for being here today. Hi guys, uh, my name is Cassandra Kolbeck. I am a recent graduate from UNCG. My medium is dance and um, I'm currently based out of Raleigh. Hey everyone, I'm Courtney Ohm. I am a collaborator in this sites project. My medium is performance dance. And for this event, I will be sharing an excerpt of a new performance work live as well as a new film. So we're gonna go ahead and shift gears to the uh, roundtable discussion and it's meant to be sort of an informal behind the scenes look at what we're talking about as artists. So I'm gonna go ahead and start with what is accessible art? I can jump in on that. Um, to me, I think accessible art is art that people who don't normally participate in the art making process and who don't regularly attend performances or other types of presentations, they can, they feel comfortable, they feel comfortable attending and, and engaging with the work. Often um, art can feel stuffy and inaccessible to people who aren't familiar with it. And sometimes it seems like artists make work for other artists and themselves more so than the public at large. So to me, accessible art is when someone who wouldn't normally buy a ticket to my show is interested in coming and engaging with my work. Yeah, I definitely agree with Nicole. I, I think it's can be like a two-pronged um, 
idea where um, for one one part of it might be that the um, the venue or the space, outdoor space, indoor space, um, and particularly like the financial contract between the viewer and the performer or the producer, um, those factors can really determine whether that performance is accessible or not for someone to view. And then the other uh, part would be like, Nicole, so like the, the content, right? Something that, you know, perhaps someone sees a performance, whether it's dance or, or something else. And if it doesn't, it's not palatable to them or relatable, then they're probably not going to come back. So um, I think it's a balance of um, reaching out to people and giving, you know, making work that is relatable to people, but then also being, um, you know, true to yourself as an artist. So it's, it's always a fine line. Going off of what some people have already said too, I think it's about revealing our process, which is what we're kind of doing now and outreach, um, but not uh, hiding the process that leads to our final product. Let's move on to what is responsive art? I guess it could mean like art that wouldn't have like been made, I guess, if it weren't for like a certain event that happened. Yeah, I agree. I think like as we go through life, like we're just constantly experiencing so much. And as artists, instead of, you know, maybe expressing our feelings in a different way, we come to art as a way to find meaning and expression. And then there's almost like this feeling of like, well, if I feel motivated enough about the thing I create, I want to be able to share it. So maybe it can like shed light on somebody else's experience. And that kind of goes into that accessibility thing too, a little bit. Uh, I'm interested in responding to the environment, whether that means the site that is chosen or the current moment. So I'm in my process, I'm interested in observing the time and the place and the community and maybe even the audience. And the observation would be through all of the senses that I have access to and that my collaborators have access to, which for most humans, physical, uh, visual sight, S-I-G-H-T, is really um, dominant sense. Um, so I certainly use my eyes in observing, but I also wanna listen to the time and the place and the people and the living beings. And then as a dancer and specifically as a contact improvisation-based dancer, I use what's called kinesthetic intelligence, which is the um, sort of tactile sense of the body to feel the temperature, the texture, the weight, all kinds of things, and actually ask my body to physically shape around and adapt to and respond to the physicality of the site and to try to make that accessible, that responsive process accessible to somehow take these sort of internal physical kinesthetic feelings in my body and make them bigger and more observ observable to the audience so that they can almost have an experience of the of the site that I'm in through their eyes, even though they're not touching the same thing as me. That makes me think of uh, <clears throat> a dancer a dance I saw a few years ago at Duke that was about the brain, and it was really about that and the mirror neurons. So 
what you're describing, Lauren, is kind of that mirror neuron thing happening, you know, like, that people would be so absorbed in watching you that they're going to have that experience in their brain. You know, it's kind of an amazing thing. But I also wanted, I wanted to talk about a little bit about response, responsibility and reaction, because that's part of, I think, what draws me to it's an, and it's kind of like what Lee was talking about, about how we use art to, to sort of process our, I, I do anyway, process my reactions into responses. That's because I can feel how I can be so react, our culture feels so reactive and I can get caught up in that. And it never takes me, it doesn't take me anywhere good. It might take other people good places and that I'm open to, but it doesn't take me anywhere good. So I really wanna make that into, you know, process the reaction into a response. To me, responsive art isn't just me producing something for the audience to consume. It's something that encourages the audience to respond in their own way. It puts out a, a call to action for the audience, either to engage in conversation or move forward with reflection and determination. Continuing on that track, I think for me, having an initial response to something and kind of researching that on my own, like why am I affected in that certain way? How does it affect others around me? And for me, a reactive response is sometimes initial and I don't want to create something just based off that initial reaction. So really diving deeper into it and researching, you know, how does it afflict the world, individuals, me, and then creating something, like you said, that can affect other people in the audience. And it's not just a personal thing at that point. Like it was a personal reaction, but then how is it more of a global reaction as well? I resonate with what everyone just said, but I actually have used reaction or reactionaryism in my creative process. I'm an improviser and a choreographer and there's this tagline, first thought, best thought, and it might not really be a thought. It might be more of a feeling. And I do like to practice that sometimes too. Like, what is my reaction right now? Just like, let it come out of me. But it's when I practice that way of being, uh, which is very reactionary, sort of instinctual or spontaneous, it's inside a container that create safety for myself and anyone else that's around. Um, like some ground rules are established or some community is established so that things can be really spontaneous. And I think what's most important to have a reaction be a spontaneous and rapid response versus like the negative connotation of reaction is a sense of safety. So I try to establish community and safety and agreement with collaborators and potentially audience as well. But I think the negative kinds of reactions that we're referencing are when, are caused when people are in a state of fear and then their reactions might not be so kind or considered. So I think a lot of grounding and breathing and safety is necessary to move away from those kinds of reactions. 
just to sort of elaborate on that, how do you create these equitable experiences? Something we hear a lot of um, right now, especially is um, creating equity within the experiences we have. So what is that for you and how is that possible? I think it relates back to this idea of access and how audiences are not not a monolith and we really can't make assumptions about how they will respond or what they desire to take in or how their own stories relate to what they're seeing or that we're presenting to them. So again, it's like tricky because we don't want to make assumptions about what, how someone is going to respond to our work or what they need or or feel or their their reactions. So it's really just like, again, our responsibility to make the work, put it out there with like the most, I think, authenticity and particularly, I think, in all of our work in collaboration with our collaborators, which I think that's part of it too, is what sort of people and bodies are we involving in our work, in our making, um, whatever your medium happens to be. And that's something I'm always working on. And I think that like the process will dictate or will inform how the, how our work is put out there, how people might absorb it. That's really like, I think the biggest chunk of the work that we can do. And it's not all of it, but it's a lot of it for me. For me, creating equitable experiences in art has a, a two-pronged approach. The first for me is financial. When I produce my own work, I do donation-based shows. I don't charge a set ticket price. I grew up in an area where a lot of people couldn't afford to go to shows. So when I started my own company, my promise to myself is that if somebody wants to come to my show, I'm going to make it possible for them to come. And then also making sure that I always pay my artists. My, they're, and they're, I just said my artists, they're not my artists. The people who choose to collaborate with me, if I can't afford to pay you, I can't afford to make the work is my feeling. And on the other side of it for the actual process, something that's become important to my own creation process now is owning my privilege, especially as a a white woman in contemporary dance and owning that and contextualizing myself within, within that history and legacy, especially in the history of racism in the United States, that my current work is a process of inquiry about where do I fit within this legacy And how do I change my impact on the world that I live in moving forward through my artwork? One of the things I consider with equitable stuff, especially when it's trying to work with institutions that are, you know, financially backed is trying to create a sense of like longevity, really trying to say like, hey, if you want my work, like, do you just want me? And again, like my response to a specific thing, like one of the things I think about is the murals that a lot of cities started to paint with the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was just like, okay, one, are you paying the artists or are you just giving them a space to put this out? And then two, are you gonna bring up more projects for them in the future? Or is this just gonna be, hey, we see this city do this, let's use these artists and then we're just gonna go to the next thing. But us as artists also saying like, hey, look, if we're gonna go into business together, like, can this be something that we grow into? Because again, we wanna be able to bring stuff to audience members and like just show like hey here's our progression in art as opposed to always reaching out to new people so trying to find ways to just keep in the old and still like bring in the new but also like maintain that sense of community that we're really all trying to have at the end of the day i'm gonna speak just for a minute to the money thing because uh one of the things i've been thinking a lot about lately is that we've 
created a culture that thrives on the lowest forms of currency. I feel like I know money's important. You know, we're we've created this culture where money is very important, but I am constantly reminded that it's it's the lowest form of human currency. And we have all these other beautiful forms that we're kind of being denied right now in a way because we can't get together and interact. And so that is, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about half the time, but I'm just, it's just one of those things that it, it bothers me. And it has sort of bothered me all my life. I've, I've never, I mean, and this is something I've never said to a group of artists before because I've been like, oh man, they're gonna, but I've never wanted to make a living off of my art because it felt compromised because the money is the lowest form of currency. Now, you know, again, that being said, I know, you know, realistically, <laughs> you, we have to have it to do things. So it's a tough place for me personally. There's two main things I'm interested in continuing as the pandemic wanes or ends. One is thinking about the same work, getting out to people in different ways. I haven't finished this work yet, but it's kind of a site-specific piece, but it's going to be a video in North Carolina, like, why don't I do that in the future? There are people who might not want to come to a theater when the pandemic is waning or when the pandemic is over. There are people who might not want to come to the park to see the site-specific piece, but would be excited to have access to it from their own homes. So I think I'm going to be more inspired to document better and share in more ways. So that's one like nitty gritty thing. And then the more conceptual inspiration I'm having is a lot of status quos have been shaken up. And some of that has been really difficult and, you know, traumatizing. And, you know, the pandemic is terrible for sure. But some status quos getting shaken up are creating the opportunity for more progress and humanity. And for that, I'm really grateful and want to contribute to that in the future. So trying to notice patterns that are around us and being creative artists, being maybe an example of another direction that we could go in. And maybe this leads to a future question, but um, I, I kind of think about my art as not overtly political, but as a model for a potential utopic direction, like a little laboratory to practice some ways to subvert the status quo and create more beauty and equity in, inside this small container. And then hopefully more people witness that, feel inspired by that, and it could bubble out more. I don't want another pandemic to shake up the status quo. <laughs> this has been pretty hard, but maybe we can just keep our eyes open and our other perceptions open. Um, another mechanism I really like is to visit other cultures, which doesn't feel safe right now, but to see what their status quos are and relationship shows me mine. But another way to do that would just be to um, try to have new experiences, even if they're digital or close to home. Going to a show you wouldn't actually be interested in and having an open mind and seeing what you can learn from that, not just about them, but about yourself. 
Yeah, I think for, for me going along with that, um, like Lauren was saying, things have been really shaken up right now. And also things are moving really fast. It's like the news, um, each thing is just only lasting like a day. And so I, I think it's part of my responsibility to cling to some of the things that I see that we need to focus on and really delve into that and try to capture it and digest it so that things aren't just like, you know, continually spinning out with people using art as a way to pay attention to them. Yes, like Lauren said, this this whole past 10 months and beyond that, you know, has been terrible in a lot of ways, but I hope that it just continues to expand the definitions of performance, like what it could be to show work and and where it is, so the not necessarily replacing things, but just breaking like the boundaries of what what performance can be in any in any sense. And by default, that will increase and generate more access and more equity. I think that they're all related. Let's talk about process. I know that is a loaded word. <laughs> we hear it a lot, especially as dance artists. For me, I've heard it a lot in the dance world because that's my background. That's my medium. Um, also, as a photographer, that, I hear that a lot. Um, but what what is your process, and is it something that you can break down? Is it something that you can sum up? For me, I am a listener. I've always been a listener. I, I can't not listen. So that is like that's really my process is just listening. I'm not. I always, you know, you hear those stories about like the Beethoven or people that had music in them that came out and they had to get it out of them. I, I don't have any music in me, but there's a whole bunch out here. And that's, that's what I'm listening to. And that's what I'm bringing into the soundscapes that I create. I think one of the big things for my process with writing is consistency, like having to constantly show up and not always really expecting something grand from me showing up. It's almost like, you know, if you do sports or anything, it's like the practice mindset is like, you just continue to work on the one thing. So then when it's finally time to like, when the opportunity comes for you to show it, it's like, well, good thing I've been working on this the whole time. I've got it to show for you. So a lot of the things is consistency. And I think that also puts on us this feeling of like having some degree of structure, like we know, when we're creating our creation process is going to be chaotic. So can we put a couple of barriers on it so we stay within the bounds? So whatever we're working on in that little bubble, we can pull out and then put it to the side and then come back the next day. Like, okay, I'm ready to see what else is in the magic hat. So every day ends up pulling out something different, but at least you're showing up to the magic hat and like at least trying it. So I think that's a good thing about process. Yeah, for me, I feel like every time I enter the creative process, it's a little bit different, but it's also like a new iteration of what I previously did, just like in a, a new morphed way. So like I'm starting this process for this work, for the sites tomorrow, and I have some groundwork, but I'm really just excited to go into the space with my collaborators and just see what happens. And I'm like right now, like writing down things as you're all really inspiring me. Yeah, I think it's, that's, Part of the fun for me is like the unknown of you know sometimes people ask you like what are you gonna do i'm like well i don't know it haven't started yet like it, it's we'll see and i think that's a real exciting place to be on that cusp of like i don't know what's gonna happen we'll just like lisa make the mold right and then whatever grows in the mold that's what it is i think it's balance of for me of 
planning preparedness and um, and being open to spontaneity, like we said before. My process has been kind of thrown into the wind lately because I'm used to having a very collaborative process with other people and I'm more isolated now. So I'm trying to make solo, <laughs> uh, which I, I actually haven't made a solo that is somewhat structured or scored or, or tightly choreographed in like 10 years. I just work in groups a lot. And I, um, so I'm trying to transfer like old process and things that feel joyous and productive to me from collaborative processes into solo process. I had a breakthrough last week about scoring. A lot of my work tends to be what I used to call semi-composed, which means it is my creative work. It is somewhat composed or choreographed, but only semi. There's a lot of freedom for the collaborators and a lot of improvisation inside some kind of structure. So I'm trying to score myself for the first time in a long time. And I was like, well, what is a score? Uh, and um, I had to put it in terms of collaborators. I was like, the score is the agreements that I have with the collaborators. So now I'm thinking about what are my agreements with Stephanie and sites? What are What is the score that's coming from the external structures? Okay, got that. Now, what are the agreements that I wanna have with myself and my medium, which is like video and costume and physical stuff? And what are the agreements I wanna have about the art and how, how can I craft agreements that, or a score, it's a set of instructions that bring something that feels vital, lively, important, beautiful, juicy out of me and to the audience. So I'm still using some tools from the past, like playfulness and kinesthetic intelligence, but the feeling of collaboration is really different. I'm collaborating with software, I'm collaborating with inanimate objects <laughs> instead of other humans. But I am finding my way. And like other people said, the I don't know part is, is pretty important to me to not have too tight of a plan. And some words or ideas that help me with that are playfulness, curiosity, and emergence. I am a language teacher and a writer in addition to being a choreographer. So to me, language and presentation matter a lot, especially with the type of work that I make that each, if each movement is a word, I have to choose it wisely. So my process is very reflective. Dance has always been a way of processing and clarification for me. So a lot of my work takes in what's happening in the world around me and asking the question, where do I fit in all of this? And why does that matter? And why, why should people listen to me? Is part of recognizing that that question is, is existential. And so I'll never have a finished product. I'll always be asking that question and, and be able to return to that work and that reflection. Adding on that, I think it's been very unique to go from especially a college setting where a process involves a lot of people and a lot of accessibility to like teachers, friends, videographers, like a bunch of different 
eyes and space, especially, it's been very difficult to find space during this time because a lot of studios are not open. They're not, you know, selling space and especially working um, as an artist, it's hard to find the money to spend on space. Um, and like, how does that work? Um, and so, yeah, just having more of a self-exploratory process has been interesting. Um, I've never choreographed a longer solo. So what does that look like? Um, doing more self-research, like I said, and it's definitely made me crave more of a collaborative process, but also learn a lot about, you know, who am I? What is my process for just me instead of as a group? Yeah, it certainly uh, allowed us all to sort of turn inward and reflect on those things. And um, I appreciate the responses you all had to that question. We're gonna move on to uh, one last question here. It's uh, a two-parter. Um, talking about healing and therapy, so art being a form of healing and therapy. Um, is it a form of healing and therapy, uh, in your opinion, and, and what does that mean to you? I'll take a moment here to talk about this installation that we're doing for sites, because my intention with this is that it is a, all these things we've been talking about, collaborative, accessible, everybody involved, and forever. This is my forever project. I'm never, ever not going to be doing this. It's called Waves of Gratitude. And I'll be mixing voices of people expressing gratitude in many, many forms I'm finding. At first, I was going to dictate the form. But I'm finding it's like, oh my goodness, it's coming in all different shapes and sizes. So the most important thing is that you, anybody who's listening, all the artists are invited to participate by recording. This is a recorded sound installation, recording a gratitude uh, of, like I said, any sort, any way you want to, and sending it to ibodgwave at gmail.com. So you can do it on your phone. You can just do a memo anytime. And I'm inviting people, send me, send gratitudes forever, forever. That's what I'm asking. Thanks Jude for that. Anybody else? Um, without getting too deep, um, art is a way of externalizing my inner chaos. So I don't have to have it live inside of me anymore. I don't know if it's like that for anybody else, but it has often been for me. So speaking a little about uh, my piece, uh, it's called Hourglass and, and deals with the bargaining stage of grief where you feel stuck. You can't go back, but you're not quite ready to move forward either. And ex externalizing that self for me and, it, and inviting the audience to reflect on their experience of the pandemic and, and what's happening in the world around us and inviting an emotional response. In the before times, I feel like my art and my creative process was like a vitamin and I needed to get it a certain amount per week or per month to feel like a complete person. Again, there's a lot of improvisation in my work. So that was an outlet for playfulness and a lot of collaboration. Well, that's not really happening right now. 
And the other really important vitamin for me is touch, which is also minimized right now. So I think I'm getting my touch vitamin more so from my dogs than from my artistic process right now. And I'm sort of figuring out what the purpose of my art is in the now times versus the before times. And as I pull some of the uh, threads through from the before into the now, I am trying to do touch-based dance with things that I wouldn't have normally interacted with. So I'm, I was intending to partner with a tree and I had some playful sessions with this fallen tree. And then the people who maintain the park took the tree away. So I had this reset in my reset process. And now uh, just my last rehearsal, I had a Zoom meeting with myself and a virtual background to try to dance with the tree. And it looks like I'm dancing with the tree, but I'm actually dancing with um, a column that's in the space that's I lined up with the, the image of the tree in the virtual background and it was surprisingly satisfying. And I guess the healing like vitamin part that I got from that was like leaning into this column and feeling its pressure and practicing my awareness of gravity and um, enlivening my tacti tactile and kinesthetic senses. So I, I've been able to find a way to get that necessary vitamin in a very unexpected way. There's a lot of imagination and virtualness that is required at this time. That seems um, pretty signature. And referencing what I said before, like I hope to keep that imagination alive and, and um, imagining things, remembering things, hoping for things in, in these difficult times can help us build a better future. We keep imagining as well. I definitely resonate with the, the touch component of creating and, and healing as a form of therapy and not having that right now and using these inanimate objects that we have around us. And, you know, how are we getting those, those vitamins? As you say, I like how you said that. I think that describes it perfectly. So thank you for that thought. Similarly, I think to what Lauren and Stephanie just said, like I, um, I associate um, art making and because dance is my medium um, and movement with like identity and it's like the sense of um of ritualism it's like this is my daily practice what do I and then if I can't do that what what do I do and who am I and whether that be if I'm not moving in a certain way every day if I'm not teaching like what does that then mean or um what what fills that hole for me and just like navigating the, those questions like is a sense of therapy I think and um to figure out like well who are we if 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 our sense of art making, consuming, viewing, you know, imagining in many ways is different now, like what is, how do we reconcile those things? Um, so that's been really helpful to like, just find other ways of, of being creative and being um, a maker and, and knowing that it, it doesn't go away either. Like sometimes things just are dormant for a while. We can all, I think, um, empathize with that for the past, Few months but yeah I think just like knowing things are are constant and impermanent at the same time um is, is just a helpful method of therapy and healing for me I was just gonna say mine instead of like healing and therapy it's kind of more like escapism for me 
um, I kind of look at it like uh, just kind of having like a safe space to kind of just temporarily forget about like other things and kind of go into it that way. No, I, I agree 100%. And I was going to say, I also agree with Nicole who's saying, I think about trying to make sense of all the stuff that's going on in the head, like that, that feeling of being able to get something out of my imagination and put it into like a physical form that I can start interacting with. Like I think about writing and it's a lot of like just word vomit at first. And I'm like, just like, okay, I'm putting it all out on the table. But then when I sit and start going through and really like taking the time to understand what that word was and why I thought that that in itself becomes like the sense of healing. Cause now I'm able to say like, so that's why I felt like this. And that's why that word came out as opposed to really just having no clue. So that process of just like getting it out of the imagination and putting it physical really helps. I think with any kind of like self-reflecting process. Coming from more of a like anatomical and people that aren't dancers point, movement is definitely therapy to people that are not trained dancers, I think as well. Um, you know, teaching a contact improv class to community people and just seeing their like amazement at, oh, this like five foot two girl can lift this six foot man. And like, how is that possible? It's, and then having that connection um, non-verbally is just not seen very much in any other aspects of society, as well as just the physical act of moving and having this form where nothing you're doing is incorrect in a lot of settings for dance, you know, and it's accessible to a lot of people. And that's just therapeutic in itself, like feeling accepted into a community. And during this time, I know it's very difficult to find that sense of community, and especially like taking Zoom classes and things like that. But still having that time to move your body I mean, my background's in kinesiology as well. So it just wakes up the nervous system, you know, your heart rate and just having that kinesthetic awareness is very therapeutic to many people. Thanks for that, um, Cassandra. I'm gonna piggyback off of that. I wanted to say that waking up the nervous system is something that I've definitely tried doing more of during the pandemic. Um, so it has been a form of healing for me, art has in general, just exploring something vigorously, as vigorously as possible. So, it, you know, if that means getting up and moving vigorously for five minutes, and I'm not going to stop until a song is done, or I'm not going to stop writing until that five minute clock is up or that 10 minute clock. It's just that idea of getting it out, you know, um, especially because we don't have these sounding boards like we typically do. We can't sit in a round circle and talk these things out. We can't meet with folks who are, you know, otherwise not, uh, who are on Zoom or, or not on Zoom. Um, we have to use these media platforms to sort of flush these things out. So it's kind of up to us to be our own sounding board. <laughs> so yeah, all of these ideas, uh, feedback to that topic is, uh, super varied and important. And um, thank you all for, for sharing those. And just for sites, I feel a larger responsibility to making the work of artists more accessible. And um, I feel a huge responsibility towards that because it has been sort of a live format in the past. And how can we 
um, make these virtual, um, this virtual world that we have going on right now, something that people want to be a part of? Um, I think one of the things is um, like when you start documenting your work and especially if it's like in a digital sense, it's like you now have this product that you can you know, mass distribute over different networks. Like you could maybe put your videos up on Instagram and share them that way. Or one things I like to do is um, put stuff to my website. Like have like one of the responsibilities I feel like now is having a website with everybody moving towards like this digital thing. It's like having a space on the internet that is solely mine and under my control where I can post things and I can put and I can direct traffic there. So it feels a lot less responsibility as opposed to like having to shift through three social media accounts and say like did i post that 30 second clip there and there and there well if i just give a snippet on my website then that allows people to kind of just get to it easier as opposed to like if you put one thing on one site it's like can the same people in this audience on this page view what i put on this page and if not then is my art being fully accessible to everybody i'm trying to reach one thing that I've noticed in um, putting out some virtual performances is just this sense, and I hope it sticks from audiences of just this generous feeling of like, oh, I don't care if the production wasn't that great. You did it. Like, you got it out there. And it's something I really have um, relished during this time. I wanted to say that my experience of some of the past sites events that I've participated in one of the things I love about it is just the happening feeling and this idea that you create this community in this moment and then it goes away and it's okay because we can keep, you know, pulling together communities. I mean, that's kind of what we do with art, right? We're, we're like, we can knit together communities from audiences from different communities and create a new community for one event and then boom, it goes away, but it still is resonating. So. Yeah, sites, I think, has just been a phenomenal uh, addition to arts in Durham. And I really uh, have to give big appreciations to Stephanie for having really, really put it through all these years. I mean, you know, the first iteration was like you were, you were pointing out things that were happening in Durham, sites that were actually physical sites that were being, you know, destroyed or recreated in some way. I mean, it was very, very exciting. And now you've shifted to this and it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thanks Jude for that. You are welcome. It's been a, a great time shifting the role to facilitator and curator um, instead of a performer myself. So uh, I love sharing this platform with everyone, you know, allowing you to share your voice on this platform. Um, and giving something back to the community. So, so thank you all for, for being a part of this. I appreciate you. Thanks so much to Stephanie Leathers from Sites for facilitating and to all of the artists who participated in this conversation. We'll put a link to Sites and their social media in the show notes so that you can see photos and videos from the February 27th performance event in Durham. If you'd like to keep up with Dance Project and upcoming festival events, please visit our website at danceproject.org. From the website, you can join our mailing list and follow Dance Project on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Dance Project Inc. and on Facebook at NC Dance Festival. Thanks for listening.
The North Carolina Dance Festival 30th Anniversary is supported by the National Endowment for the Arts, the North Carolina Arts Council, Lincoln Financial Foundation, Ecolab Foundation, and Stearns Financial Group. We need the support of individual donors and business sponsors as well to make possible the innovative work that North Carolina dancers are creating, bring students meaningful experiences with the arts, and strengthen the community through dance. To make a gift to the festival fund, please visit danceproject.org ncdf2020. Thanks for your support.